This, this is the Our Auto Expert Podcast. Find us on air, online, on mobile, and on your smart speaker. Please subscribe at ourautoexpert.com. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Now, here's the host of Our Auto Expert. Our Auto Expert. Nick Miles. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the southeast to the northwest. This is America's car radio show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it online, on air, on smartphone or on smart speaker. This is our auto expert where two million Americans get their automotive news daily. I'm your host, Nick Miles, along with truck girl Jen. So even your mum thinks you're negative about cars. (laughs) See, this is why I should never tell you anything on the ride over. Why? Because Did I bring it up because yes. I talk about our relationship. No, she just said that I, I seemed a little on the negative side. Thank God it's not me because I thought it was just me that thought you were negative well, no. about every single car you've ever driven. It's really funny though because I'm usually a very positive person and it was kind of like, oh, I'm the negative Nelly. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Back up. What have you liked about the last five years of cars that you've driven? What have I liked? Yeah. The variety. All right. <laughs> What, you mean cars that stand out? Yeah, that's not, not really working for me. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, the Bentley. Yeah. That was fun. We, went, we had a Bentley? Mm-hmm. It wasn't the Continental. It was like white with blue, powder blue. All right, go on. Uh, let's see. How about the Rolls Royce we drove? <laughs> ah, she has a champagne taste and a beer budget, let me just tell you. Yeah, so much. That's it? No, there's a lot more. Five bit. years of cars, you came up with two. No. All right, on with the show. The Corvette was great. Um. On with the show. Packed show today. (laughs) We've got a lot of stuff to get through. Uh, What is on the show? We're going to talk to Brian Cotter at Mercedes AMG about uh, the brand new AMG GT43. Boy, they are killing it at Mercedes-Benz right now. Tons of cool stuff. Ted Ryan joining us. He is uh, from the archive and heritage at Ford. We're going to talk about Bronco. Mm -hmm. Um, New Bronco. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about the history and get down to that. James Bell, the head of Kia. Uh, they just got named in J.D. Power and Associates Initial Quality Award as joint number one with Dodge. Mike Cadell joining us to talk about uh, the new Nissan Sentra. Mike, of course, is the other TV half of our auto expert. Uh, Tyson Hominy is going to join us. He's the Vice President of Data and Analytics with J.D. Powers. Uh, we're going to talk about how sales are going so far this year. It's a touchy subject for a lot of people. Uh, Brock Cart... Cart... How do you say his last name? I was thinking Cart- Cartledge. Like, All right. Like, I hope that's not right. I hope that's right because otherwise, Brock Cartledge, uh, he's from Toyota, but we're going to have good news. We have a new RAV4, a new RAV4 Prime. Mm-hmm. Driven both of them, by the way. Video online at ourautoexpert.com. Uh, big sales turnaround numbers for electric vehicles. Anton Warman's going to update us on that and how Tesla's doing. And Kevin Hellman, the Challenger brand manager. I'm going to sneeze. I can feel it coming. Inside. I'm just super excited about this interview. <laughs> there we yeah. Go. Fabulous sneeze. Yeah, uh, he's going to talk us good. talk to us about uh, the brand new Charger SRT Superstock. Wait a Probably, minute. What, what do you mean? Charger. No. Challenger. Yeah. Superstock. The Charger is the Hellcat. Right. Uh, sorry, Red Eye Charger. That's like in the coming weeks. Upcoming yeah. weeks. Yes. All right. All right. There you go. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever, Jen. <laughs> um, so there you go. That's a packed show for you. And Jen hates everything. That should I be a do show. Not. Jen hates everything. No, I don't. What? I don't hate everything. Welcome to another edition of Jen Hates Everything <laughs> that she ever drives or rides in.
What didn't you like about the car we drove in today, the Alfa Romeo Stelvio? What I didn't like? Yeah. Because it would be much, much easier for you to talk about okay. what, that than what you did like. Okay, so let's see. What I didn't like, uh, the wood. The wood, okay. look. So Jen hates wood? Good. Yeah, yeah. Everything else was just awesome. Excellent. I love the Jen little flag. hates wood in cars. Yeah, I do. You did like the flag. I did. I love the little flag. They Underneath the gear shifter, it has a little Italian flag, but it's not. It's a horizontal flag, so it's and like green, white, red. What did I tell you? Oh, you said there. That's the color of all three pasta sauces. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah, Italians right. are represented by. So their flag is three <laughs> different pasta sauces. Yep. I bet you, if you said that to a real <laughs> Italian who grew up in Italy, they'd be furious because it probably symbolizes some great historical. It does, but you know, I'm sure it does. But you know, I'm a part Italian, so T- typical American. Italian Just cheapens everything. Oh there you go. my gosh, cheapens everything. So not. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, sales of Mercedes Benz uh, only fell 14 percent of the last six months, as compared to BMW falling 28 uh, percent, which means that Mercedes are on track to. Uh, actually be the top luxury car brand in the United States for 2020. Uh, They are 18,000 vehicles ahead. And we always like to invite our friends on from Mercedes-Benz to talk about really cool cars because they have plenty of them. Brian Cotter joining us to talk about the 2021 AMG GT four-door, 43 four-door. Brian, how do you keep all these vehicles separate? There are so many AMG vehicles that I'm confused. I just have to think about it before I say it. You have a you have a lot to remember, don't you? Oh man! Hi, Nick. How are you doing? First yeah. of all, and yes, we've, we've got more vehicles than uh, I think I know what to do at this point. I believe uh, the last time I counted, there were over sixty-five AMG vehicles in our lineup. So Oof, there wow! Are, um, an overwhelming number for us to keep track of and uh, try to get out in the marketplace. So, if I should randomly pick one with statistics, you would know all about it, wouldn't you? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I'm not going to make up a good answer. I was it. like, that's mean. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. That would be super cruel and horrible. And uh, um, Anyway, so there is a new member. So the GT was your two-door roadster that came out a few years ago. Love that And car. there's been multiple versions of it, including a, uh, a racetrack-only performance version, uh, which you know, I would love to drive, but unfortunately you need a racetrack to go with it, mm-hmm. so the opportunities are uh, slim to drive that. But then the GT four-door, which we had at last year's Northwest mm-hmm. Automotive Press Association Run to the Sun, you beautiful. brought that to us, uh, which is beautiful, really great performer. But now you've come up with a new version of that, which is called the AMG GT43, uh, So yeah. four, and the four-door version. So how is the 43 different from the, uh, the regular GT? So the 43 basically follows the same formula that we have uh, for the other GT four-door vehicles, but it comes at a, a more attractive price point. So it provides a new entry to the GT lineup. Previously, uh, the entry point to the lineup was about $100,000, the GT53. And this is more or less the same packaging for a vehicle. Uh, like you get the same standard features essentially across the board, but the entry price is uh, roughly $10,000 lower. So it's $89,900. Uh, but you, you really don't lose a whole lot when it comes to uh, to standard features. The only thing that you have to sacrifice is a little bit of power, but it still has 362 horsepower, so more than enough for, uh, for to have a good time. Uh, it's interesting how you say more attractive, because I'm actually more attracted to the more expensive ones. I just can't afford them. So they're, they're less attainable, but they're definitely more attractive because you get the more power. Do you, was there some reason that you guys decided to do a 43, or is it just a philosophy that's traveling through the brands, or was this something that owners had been asking for? 
Well, when we launched the vehicle, uh, we launched with a, a 53, a GT63, and a 63S. And, you know, people really gobbled those up. We've been selling them like crazy since they came out at the beginning of 2019. Uh, but we did get quite a number of people looking for uh, something with a little bit more style, a little bit more aggressive design than the COS uh, was able to offer. And they wanted a, a slightly more aggressive price point to be able to compete with some of the vehicles that the uh, that other car company from Stuttgart were putting out in the same segment. So uh, we decided to go right at the uh, the Panamera 4S uh, with the GT43. And uh, we match up really well on paper, and we're hoping that uh, customers who are looking for a change of scenery from what they might have purchased in the past would uh, cross-shop with the GT43 now since we've got a, a really compelling package. I think you've always uh, beaten uh, Porsche in your numbers, because when the regular GT4 door came out and we drove it on the track, uh, when we matched it numbers to numbers against the Panamera, a similar version of the Panamera, it, 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 the numbers were better. I mean, you beat them already. So the performance yeah. numbers you've always had there, and this is giving people an opportunity to do something else just apart from getting into the Panamera, right? Absolutely. So not only does it give you like pretty astonishing performance for the, the price point, but yes, it is a really awesome alternative um, to even other vehicles in our own lineup. So maybe you're a customer who wants a, a practical sedan if you've got a family, but with a little bit of a, a twist, a, a more aggressive roof line, a more aggressive uh, exterior styling. So this is a, a great alternative even to like E53 sedan, for instance. It's, it's uh, I guess you could say it's a more aggressively tuned version of uh, like an E-Class. So but does all, in all, it, all in all, I would say it opens up a whole new segment of customers to be able to experience the Mercedes-Benz brand. Right. Does it have drift mode? That's an important thing. <laughs> no, unfortunately, oh. it does not have drift mode. You've got you to gotta pony up for the GT63 to get that. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going for the E63S wagon because that, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, honestly, that's, that's my Mercedes right there. That's the one I licked, and that means I own it. You so, licked it? Yeah. That is, really? that is also my favorite. Yeah. See? I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one thinks yeah. it's the most beautiful car ever. Uh, when does this, uh, is the GT43 on sale already? And um, and if you want one, can you get them anywhere or do you have to pre-order them? No, so right now you can go to your dealership and uh, you can order and spec it out to your heart's desire. Uh, so they're orderable. Uh, we still uh, aren't going to launch in the U.S. yet uh, for another couple of months. We still got to wait for fuel economy figures and crash test figures and all that fun stuff. But uh, I'd say in the next two or three months, uh, they should be on dealer lot. And if you put your order in right now at the Mercedes-Benz dealership, uh, it should arrive here in about two and a half months. And you could be among the first to have a GT43 in the U.S. I really like that idea. When does mine get here? <laughs> you have well, to go online, Nick. You can get to your dealer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you were just going to send me one. Sorry. I, had, I, I was obviously misled on that Dreamer. one. Dreamer. <laughs> I, do, I, spend a lo- I spend a lot of time dreaming about Brian's cars. My bet. I know. <laughs> I still haven't quite recovered from my time uh, in Bowling Green, Kentucky, driving the E63S wagon. It was pretty unbelievable. And then Brian oh. Brian was doing uh, donuts in the parking lot in drift mode. Oh, awesome. I have, I have to say that was one of the better days on the job, getting asked uh, by Nick to do donuts in the parking lot. Did you get uh, that on video? For yeah. a video. <gasps> yes. Yeah. That's awesome. See, Brian has one of the hardest jobs in the world. You really do, Brian. Well, <laughs> 
Thank you for giving up your week, part of your weekend to talk to us. Uh, if you want to find yeah. out more about this, you can obviously go to the Mercedes-Benz website at Mercedes-AMG GT43 four-door. It is now available for ordering your Mercedes-Benz dealer. Stand by. More show coming up. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Catch up with previous episodes of the show at our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all past shows, see our automotive videos, and hear and read insider stories about your next ride. Our Auto Expert is where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. You will find it all at ourautoexpert.com. So the frenzy is absolutely crazy about the new Ford Bronco. There are so many people's pictures appearing online of what they think it's going to look like, some guesswork some pictures of vehicles that they've rendered out. I have never seen a media frenzy like this than ever before. And uh, the announcement is just probably the most anticipated announcement of the year of any single uh, vehicle coming to the market. Uh, Ted Ryan joining us from Ford. He is from the Archives and Heritage uh, Department. He is the brand manager there. Uh, It you know, this is a vehicle that first appeared in 1966, but the frenzy around the Bronco is absolutely unbelievable, isn't it, Ted? It's something else, and it's so surprising, too, because the vehicle went out of the market in 1996, and it's more popular now than it was during its own, when it was when it was still in market. I think they only sold 14,000 units that last year. And I'm at your, at your website right now. You've got a great historical summary of the Bronco with all five generations on it. It's a Hey, go, go check out their website if you want to know Bronco Heritage. Uh, I recognize all these photos. that came from our archives. All right. Uh, what I am, you know, is really enjoyable is to see the fact that uh, all these people uh, who own Broncos, and there's great roundups of uh, old Broncos that go on every single year. Uh, I have friends all over the country that get together in big groups, and they uh, gather and have weekends um, and mountain passes and off-roading and camping and doing all the things that Bronco was uh, sort of designed to be a part of. And they're all anticipating the new release. Uh, some of them are sitting there going, will my value of my Bronco go up or go down? Uh, you know, it's it's sort of the anticipation. There's this massive heritage. But then, you know, Obviously, very, very obviously, that Ford are going right at the heart of those Jeep owners, the Wrangler, to give them an alternative. Because Wrangler's been such a dominant vehicle in their segment for so long. Uh, But the choice has been Wrangler or Wrangler. There hasn't been any real choice for people. You either chose a Wrangler or you didn't have it. Now, there's going to be a choice with Bronco. Um, And, you know, in designing the new Bronco, uh, the, the guy... Guys at Ford really had to look back at that heritage of what the vehicle was about from from the '60s on. They did, and it was interesting too. And you mentioned Jeep. The the origins of Bronco actually go back to World War II, when when Ford was one of the three companies that submitted designs for the to the Army for the Jeep. The they chose the Ford body style. They chose the Bantam uh, transmission, and I believe it was transmission, and then the Willis Overland engine, and combined them all together. To, to get what we knew as the Army Jeep. And Ford built more than 270,000 of them. And then in the 60s, we saw a gap. You know, all that you had was International Harvester Scout and Jeep CJ. And that was it. Uh, so we identified that, that we could build a off-road vehicle that would still be a good highway driver. And that was the, the gap in the market. And you talk about the design team. 
we actually set up deep dives in the archives, at least eight to ten of them with the designers. And we would do things like, in one case, we did nothing but pull all the colors to every Bronco that had ever been produced to show what the spectrum of colors over time was. What did the fabrics look like? What did the interiors look like? Not so that the, we can pull out a, a, a 66 Bronco and rebuild it, but so that they would understand the DNA of the Bronco, what it looked like, what it felt like, what it meant to own it, uh, as we're introducing on Monday the, the three, the family of Broncos that are coming out. It, it was exciting to work with them over the last year and to see their excitement as they would come in. And, you know, we blew up the original sketch of the original uh, concept of the Bronco from 1963. And I see all the design, designers huddling around it, looking to compare uh, what the lights look like and what they look like now. It, it's an exciting project. I think when you, everybody sees it on Monday, I don't think you're going to see too many disappointed people when they see the Bronco. Uh, there is obviously been a lot of color palettes released ahead of the the vehicle. I know that uh, the team worked very hard on the colors that we'll get to see uh, in the vehicle. Um, a lot of times, you know, trying to match what's fashionable and uh, what's sort of natural and those type of things. I think the most interesting thing about uh, this is that nothing has changed since the 60s because back in the 60s Ford identified a market need they went ahead and produced a vehicle that fit the market and was revolutionary what have you done in 2020 you have identified a need you've produced a, you're you're about to produce a vehicle which the market has been asking for and which is absolutely necessary so it's really we've come full circle, but we haven't. We're doing the same thing that you did back in the 60s, really. It is, and, you know, I think a little bit broader. In 1964 to 1969, we introduced the Mustang, the Bronco. We won Le Mans in 1966, 67, 68, 69, and 69. We introduced the Mach 1 Mustang. You're, and you're seeing almost that same uh, fervent energy that you today that you saw then. We've the Mach-E's introduced, the hybrid F-150's introduced, the Bronco's coming out, the, uh, the Mach-E. I see that same energy repeating today that we had during that, the glory period of 64 to 69 in, in Ford Motor Company history. Identify a niche, build a quality product, and bring it to market and let the public decide. Uh, quick question for you. How much are you having to do of gathering up the materials and the current history to store it in an archive? So in 60 years time, when I do an interview with you, I can bring up the uh, the Bronco in 2020. <laughs> that, that's a really good question, too, because it's hard. I have the design drawings from 66, but, you know, everything's done on a computer now and it's done in CAD style. So we're we're working with the design team to get some of their material so that we can make sure we are capturing it for the future. Uh, you know, we don't print too many brochures anymore, so you can't go in, uh, you can't really capture those. So it, it's tougher to get today's material than it was to get back in the 60s when it was just a matter of grabbing three of everything we produced and, and holding on to it. Uh, but I do want to keep it, and I, I'm trying to archive the, uh, the uh, release of the Bronco and the release of the Mach-E and the, the F- uh, series announcement we just had a couple of weeks right. ago right in a way that will be meaningful I, I just have a suggestion for you ted i think you should just shrink wrap them and put them on a shelf uh ted ryan is the ford archive and heritage brand manager over at ford uh the new bronco you'll find everything at the ford website ordering information etc 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 about that vehicle coming up we're going to talk about other vehicles which have just won awards when we come back
You're listening to the Our Auto Expert Podcast. This is our Auto Expert Radio Show. It's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can start a conversation with us uh, at Our Auto Expert. Just direct message us. It's where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. Uh, I had a loan last week of a vehicle that I've been in love with since day one, day uno. It's the Kia Telluride. It is a beautiful But I'm not the only one. There are good problems and bad problems in the automotive industry. Uh, bad problems are when things go wrong for car companies. Good problems are when they can't supply cars enough. And the Telluride is still a bad for a lot of people. Uh, joining us on the phone is James Bell, our friend from Kia, who's uh, in charge of uh, chief. He's the chief bottle washer in charge of uh, basically everything that goes on uh, that faces the world at Poor Kia. James. Yeah, you, uh, and we have a lot of bottles. <laughs> have you caught up? Are people getting their Tellurides now? Are you guys? Are they still ordering them fast, and you can make them? Um, not to be funny, but it seems like the fact that we are short of them is just making the situation worse. And, you know, our factory down in Georgia obviously had to shut down for some time during the the quarantine. Uh, We're back on now, but um, still not to full power because a lot of the supply, I'm sorry, the uh, parts and um, wire harnesses and steering wheels and stuff like that that come from uh, other parts of the world are a little slow filtering back into the U.S. So, we're about 80% of capacity trying to get it back, but no, uh, the, the demand for the vehicle continues to far exceed. And as and you very eloquently said at the start of the show here, um, it's a good, bad problem. Or as my English uh, grandfather, uh, sorry, um, father-in-law used to say, that's a high-class problem you have there, James. Oh, I love <laughs> it. <laughs> but it is, and it's better to have those problems than, you know, the problems where, hey, guess what? Our hood is opening in the middle of driving the car or something. You know, that's those are the bad problems yeah. that people get. The good problems are, hey, we can't make our cars fast enough. Listen, you, you're yeah. having uh, – the, the kingdom of Kia is having quite a, a good summer, basically. Mm-hmm. You have a lot going on. You have uh, yeah. – you just got the J.D. Parrott uh, and Associates Initial Quality Award, number one position. Six years you guys have been demonstrating yep. uh, the quality of your vehicles. Yeah, it is a um, – let me say it this way. It was historic when Kia won this six years ago. It really kind of served notice to the rest of the industry, the, the Toyotas, the Hondas, the Fords of the world. Like, yeah, it's a different, different game in town. But then to go on six straight years, I, I would bet that there was a lot of people back then, probably you, Nick, let's be honest, said, ah, this is just a one-off. But I'm just kidding, by the way. Um, And, you know, and now here we are six years later, and obviously it's not a one-off. It's it's the commitment that we have from the, you know, the vice chairman of the company on down that uh, quality is number one, durability, reliability, and now desirability. And so, yeah, it's it's a killer combination. It's working quite well. Uh, I've always been, I have to tell you, I've always been a super fan of the Korean car makers. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. Purely from day one, uh, I, I may have been the only one that really liked the Borrego mm. when it came out. Um, oh. I thought it was a really excellent vehicle. Unfortunately, it came out about the worst time possible when fuel prices mm-hmm. started to go crazy and money became difficult in the, in the late uh, 2010s, uh, you know, 2008, yep. nine around there. Uh, I really liked the vehicle. It was sort of an alternative it to the Ford Explorer at the time, um, but unfortunately, it didn't take a grip. But every, pretty much everything you've released after that has been great. And um, you just, uh, I like to, I like to sort of do my Dan Neal on people and say Kia just mm-hmm. canceled the Optima, but they did oh, cancel yeah. the Optima, but it's coming back with a new name and a new look. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a, well, it's such a new car that we determined it needed a new name, too. And, and there's been some criticism because it's an expensive thing to do, to change the name of a car. You've got a lot of, you know, branding and, and uh, uh, you know, websites and all the things that need yeah. to go. You've got to go back into the archives and, and make some uh, lots of uh, corrections. And But this car... Uh, I remember the first time I saw it uh, when I went to Korea, probably early last year, and said, wow, this is just a completely different car. It's Yes, it's got four wheels and steering wheel and glass and all that, but it is not an Optima. It's a different thing. And, and then when the discussion came about um, using the global name for the car instead of Optima, there was, I'll be honest with you, there was a lot of um, uh, consternation within the company. Uh, Kia Motors America is probably the most important region in the global Kia uh, um, kind of environment. And, and we have a great amount of sway in, in that choice. And, and we all kind of looked at each other and said, no, this, this is, it actually deserves a new name. It's that different, that unique, and that big of a step away from the current generation Optima. So, yeah, we, uh, we went for it. I saw uh, one of the reviews um, this week said uh, the, uh, the new Optimal Optima. And I thought, well, Ooh. that's a new way to do it. Yeah, that worked for me too. Someone, <laughs> someone was up late night thinking of that one. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I actually, lo- I like the, I like it when you go for, um, you know, things are named the same across the. I always, yeah. it always seems weird to me when they go, yes, the, it's called this in Asia and this in in Africa and it's called this in Europe and it's basically the same car, but it's you know, I mean, I, I think the last time I was in England, probably five years ago. You have a vehicle over there. I think it's the Forte version in Europe. Is it called the Seed, the Kia Seed? Yes, Seed. Yeah. So it, and that, that that was like I couldn't get my head around that clearly because I I I love the international names. They don't always work though, do they? You know, it's hard. It's hard when you because I know the international name for the K900 is the K9, and that doesn't really work. <laughs> so no, we couldn't go there. Yeah, I mean, I would have done, but you know. Yeah, I'm, but I, can you imagine all the dog? You know, yeah, of course. You know, I mean, yeah. you just open yourself up for exactly. all those problems. So you have yeah a JD Power Initial Quality Award. You have a new Optima now called the K5. You uh, you are obviously are having trouble filling the Telluride uh, orders because people are so you know. I, uh, by the way, I just when I did the review. And you probably should. I should wait for the TV about this. But the starting price of the Telluride is thirty-two thousand dollars, and when you look at that, that's also the starting price of a Mercedes A-Class. Oh. <laughs> and so, and they pro- they sort of proceed the same length. You know, you could probably get an A-Class up to around fifty thousand dollars. You could probably get a Telluride up to around fifty thousand dollars. What would I rather have? <laughs> you know, that's how I look at it. <laughs> Me yeah. too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then you have the Seltos. That's going on. Mm. Uh, and that seems to be resonating really well and uh, getting a lot of people excited about, uh, not, you know, a different kind of SUV in the smaller sizes. Yeah, it's funny, you know, because of the, um, the coronavirus situation, a lot of our marketing effort on the Seltos has been kind of uh, slid off a little bit um, as we you know look to help people with their uh, you know, their, their financial situations and, and shifting our, our campaign to what we call accelerate the good to try to just kind of help local communities in a much bigger way. And so a lot of uh, energy and, and resources came off of Seltos, but we were just looking at the numbers the other day. It's, it's holding its own. It's doing quite well. I think in a lot of cases, people are coming in to a Kia dealership with the energy for a Telluride and thinking, I want what everybody else wants. You know, there's always that, keeping up with the Joneses kind of environment. Right. And then there's finding out that 
telluride just not available or will be available in six months or whatever the case may be and then i think they look over and say well what's that now that's not as big as the telluride but you know what let's think about it there's only two of us in this family why do we need a big telluride anyway right Right. and i think the celtos is because it is new because it has um uh, a lot of the same technology especially on the inside it's kind of uh, swept up some of those um disgruntled telluride owners at least for uh you know the for three-year purchase or lease or something like that. So, yeah, we're, we're pleased with uh, the way the whole uh, whole stable's doing right now. Will we ever see uh, a second-hand or a, a gently used market for Telluride or just think that's not gonna, it's not going to exist? Well, let's be fair. Um, it's been out for, what, 18 months now, and it's still in a situation like this. It, I mean, Nick, you're a student of this industry. It does not make sense. It does not make sense. Um, this is not a uh, Porsche GT3 or uh, Ford Mustang GT500 or some unique vehicle. uh, So, yeah, we do see vehicles um, that were, you know, driven by the the dealer's wife or something, you know, with four or 5,000 miles on it, but still getting full pop. So it just doesn't make sense. But as you said at the start, we love it. You know what I enjoy more than anything else? I enjoy watching other car companies respond to this. Like, you know, you have, there are four or five other people who are coming out with three-row SUVs in the next year or so. And uh, I'm thinking of, you know, Jeep Wagoneer, Grand Wagoneer, all those sort of things. I wonder how close to the Telluride it'll be. You know, Nick, you've raised a great question. I might be calling you uh, after the show because I'd love (laughs) to hear what other manufacturers uh, are saying about this car. Obviously not on the airwaves, unless you wanted to share right now. No, I, I, I know that uh, when you design the Telluride that you may have or may not have uh, had some people who came from Jeep to work at Kia. And yeah. uh, Jeep were very disgruntled about that, I can tell you, as I would be. I mean, you lose good employees. It's difficult. But uh, it was it was sort of a bone of contention with those because those are obviously the people that were good. working on uh, on the, you know, on their new vehicles. But there are, yeah. you know, people are coming out with those. We're expecting the American car companies to come out with uh, some some Kia Telluride um, competitors. Uh, that are yep. less expensive, uh, you know. They, they don't seem to quite be able to do the vehicles that you do for the price, though. Um, it's interesting yep. that, uh, the, that I watched a couple of uh, North American car company engineers go through uh, Kia, uh, looking yep. at it when we were at some big festival. I had lots of cars there, and they were looking at all the engineering, the bolts they were getting underneath, and they were like, how do they do this for the price? Well, and oh, not good. only that, I think to me, the warranty that you guys carry is a huge advantage over everybody else that they just don't have. Right. Yeah. So. Well, and then you you double down. You say, okay, yes, Kia's had this warranty for over 10 years now just to kind of provide that ultimate peace of mind and comfort. But then you back it up with J.D. Power initial quality and uh, looking at the, the warranty take rates and so forth. And you say, okay, I've got this fantastic warranty. Should something happen? But I'm also hearing nothing happens. Right. <laughs> so that's good. It's, it's a it's a wonderful, uh, delicious combination. Uh, uh, Charlie Sheen said it best: winning. James. Winning. <laughs> James Bell from <laughs> Kia. Thank you for joining us today to talk about uh, the kingdom of Kia and what's going on an awful lot. We didn't even get to the COVID stuff or the cooking show that Kia are putting on. Anyway, but we'll have to save that for another time. Uh, we uh, definitely will uh, be looking at uh, what goes on with other manufacturers responding to Kia. Stand by. More cool car stuff coming up. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. 
I'm surprised Jen hasn't thrown me out of the studio this morning after the things I've said about her. Your smart speaker can be your radio. Just say, hey Google, hey Alexa, or hey Siri, uh, play our auto expert radio show. And all the previous episodes of the podcast are available. Hours of endless fun await you. I'm Nick Miles, and this is our auto expert radio show with truck girl Jen. Two million Americans get their automotive news daily from our auto expert, uh, our Fox and Friends uh, guy who is on TV, and uh, not just Fox and Friends, but all over the country. Talking about different things with me. And one of uh, your best friends Yeah, my pal, my buddy. Hey, uh, Mike Cordell joining us. Mike, uh, you made national news, but not in an automotive way, uh, with a big fire at the marina outside your house, didn't you? Well, let's just start with this. Introduce me as your best friend and partner in crime for our auto. Who cares about boxing friends? (laughs) That's, I mean, we... we we care about Fox and Friends because it brings us more viewers and listeners, but we care more about our auto experts. Yeah. Let's be honest. I mean, look, look. When you and I go get haircuts and we post them online, it gets us views. I mean, <laughs> that's so true. That My new haircut yeah. got four hundred well, uh, views this morning. Seri- yeah, so, on a serious note, yeah, I uh, I uh, actually was on uh, on Old Hickory Lake yesterday when uh, a, we saw a big pool of black smoke across the lake. And um, it was quite scary, guys. It was a big fire uh, that uh, erupted in Lot A at the Gallatin Marina uh, here in, in Tennessee. And uh, with eight people on our boat, four kids, we uh, strapped up, told them to put their life jackets on and went flying into the marina and stayed, stayed distant. You know, we wanted to make sure we weren't doing something that wasn't appropriate. And a uh, police officer was on the edge, and he was, you know, waving at us, like, come in, we need your help, we need your help. So we uh, we put bo- uh, put some ropes on the front of the boat and went in and started pulling out boats. We saved a, a 50-year-old Chris Kraft Yay. Uh, and a couple houseboats. Yeah, a couple houseboats. Uh, it was a little scary. Hadn't been a part of something like that before, but, you know, I think all the stuff that we do at Our Auto Expert from a driving standpoint, it, you know, kind of prepares you, you know, on how to use a vehicle to, to you know, do some good. We were hoping to save some people, but everybody was off. So it was just at that time getting boats out of out of harm's way. Yeah, I know. I, I was watching it on the news last night, which was uh, which was pretty amazing. And the pictures that you took and and you posted were pretty amazing as well. Just it really hurts. I mean, I hope they everyone had insurance, but it really hurts when you see somebody's like you know vacation dreams just go up in smoke. Yeah, there were five houseboats and. Um, you know, that Chris Craft that we pulled out, it was 50 years old. And, and you know, we're the three of us, you know, you mean Jim, we're, we're into cars, right? We're, we love classic cars. And when I saw that Chris Craft there, the police officer was like, please come save this, you know? And so he, he cut the line and we came in and, and we just towed it out. And the owner uh, found us on Facebook and said, hey, we will forever be grateful for, you know, helping get our boat out. And, and so there were five boats in a row their boat was in that sixth slip, so their boat would have been lost. Oh, well, um, good so for them. It was a good, good feeling. It was a good feeling to get that done. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope they uh, find out what caused the fire and they prevent it from happening again. But that's not why you're joining us today. Uh, you're joining us to talk a little bit about one of the vehicles you've been testing, which is the Nissan Sentra. Uh, Nissan Sentra. So, you know what? I test drove this vehicle for the first time at their launch last year. And the Nissan Sentra is like one of the most underrated, under-discussed vehicles in the market. It's a sub-$20,000 vehicle, but it's, it's bigger. So the new Sentra has a bigger platform chassis than the first model. 
Uh, and, and I like that about it. It comes packed with safety technology uh, on the inside of that. And, you know, it's, it, it's fun to drive. It's not all about horsepower. It's about utility. But it's a very comfortable car. And a lot of automotive journalists talk about the fact that it's purely just a very comfortable ride. Uh, one of the things that sort of makes it uh, great is w- what you get for the money, though. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can obviously kit this thing up to uh, mid twenty thousand level range if you want to start pouring money into uh, some of the extras and the options. But when you look at it against the competition, you get, uh, especially design wise, you get something that doesn't look like a, a little tin can, don't you? Well, I, I think the exterior design, and, and I know Nissan will be coming out with a whole host of new vehicles this year from a design standpoint. Uh, but the Sentra just, you know, it's a very, you know, it's like you look at it and you kind of go, is that, is that entry level? And, and then when you see it in person, you're like, nah, it's not entry level. It really falls into that mid-level sedan because they give you a nice exterior look, great interior creature comforts, and, you know, safety and tech that you'd expect to see in a Nissan vehicle, you get it with that at a, at a really great price, which is what makes it cool. And at the same time, too, that uh, you have to look at what you get with the competition. You get a lot of standard equipment on this. Uh, one of the things that Nissan have tried to put in all of their vehicles as uh, as the lowest pace, uh, base prices as possible are things like Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, uh, Collision uh, Warning, the the zero gravity seats there's an awful lot of stuff that gets put in these vehicles uh where you have to buy those as options in the competition right front crash avoidance lane departure warning rear pedestrian detection all things that you get with vehicles like the Sentra, and that kind of safety technology is so important you know for consumers when they're looking to buy a vehicle in the marketplace not to mention great mpg so you get all of that you know with the nissan Sentra. um but our so I, I just have a question for both of you. Are, yes. Are we going to talk about the Are we going to talk about the Bronco? <laughs> we already had. Uh, we did have Ted Ryan mm-hmm. on uh, from uh, the Ford Archive to talk a little bit about what they could talk about. But uh, right. we're you know Mike and I will be uh, flying off to Detroit tomorrow to uh, to be with the Bronco. I think we're the only two journalists that are coming in from out of town, aren't we? Yeah, that's correct. So we'll be flying into Detroit tomorrow. We'll be. You know, they're on Monday and Tuesday to see the all-new Ford Bronco. Um, it's, it's no riddle right now. The Ford Bronco will come in three different iterations. There'll be a small one. There'll be a two-door, and there'll be a four-door uh, kind of released out there in the market. So everybody knows they'll have three different versions of the vehicle coming. Uh, of course, Nick and I know all the details of the Bronco. We just can't tell you yet about it. But uh, the one thing I will tell you, and I say this as a Bronco enthusiast, it's going to be amazing. All I could um, say, it's going to be amazing. All I could say is, I think Nick is more excited to get on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's then to see the Bronco at the no, moment. No, no, are you excited? I'm sort of excited and worried. Like, I'm trying to work out what kind of masks I should take, whether I should take right. a visor, whether I should take an N95 mask with the rebreathers on the front, whether I should just have a bandana, um, whether I need to pack food. You know, it's like all those things. Like, traveling is going to be really different. Mm-hmm. It really. is. And this is bring, the first time. Bring gloves. This is the first time I've flown since the pandemic. Make sure you wear gloves. So I normally, right. I normally do maybe 10 flights a week. Right. And I haven't flown for four months. So it's... It, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. He's excited. I, well, He's are excited. you excited? Are you are you excited or worried to get on a plane, Mike? I to be. I mean, I don't care. I you know I think there's a lot of uh, narrative in the press about the coronavirus, but I'm not going to tell you or suggest one way or the other. I think people need to do what makes them feel comfortable. 
I've got a mask. Uh, it's required and mandated for me to wear a mask. I'm going to wear a mask, but I'm not concerned uh, about getting the coronavirus uh, at this point. I, I know it's a very deadly, nasty thing, right. but I, you know, I, I have responsibility, and you know, I'm going to get on that plane and you know, try and deliver the best news that I can on Tuesday to, to showcase this all new vehicle. So, yeah, you know, there's, well, just, there's just a point. There's a point in the country where we have to. We have to start figuring out because people are people are losing jobs, right? Yeah. They're losing money. Yeah. They're yeah. losing family yeah. members. Like, yeah. what's the balance? Yeah. You know, I get it. I get it. We'll we'll tell you all about the Bronco when we see it. Uh, stand by. More our auto expert. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert podcast. Locally created, nationally celebrated from the northwest to the southeast, this is America's Car Radio Show. If it has a throttle, we'll feature it on air, online, on smartphone and smart speaker. This is our auto expert, where two million Americans get their automotive news daily. I'm your host, Nick Miles, with Truck Girl Jen. It's really hard to know where we are with the automotive industry sales right now. Got uh, Always got issues with, uh, is COVID affecting things more or less? Uh, markets change from day to day. And of course, when you put together all different 50 states, I mean, markets uh, in some states are all over the place. Now, J.D. Parent Associates does a new uh, retail impact report uh, of cars every week. And then uh, once a month, do an in-depth report to see how the markets uh, look. Uh, Tyson joining us from J.D. Parent Associates to talk talk a little bit about the num- the most recent numbers to come out. So uh, overall trends, we're not that far off what was pre-virus predictions, are we? It's not like we're 50% off. We're now getting down in some places to single digits off what the market was predicting for new car sales. Hey, Nick, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing that new car sales are, are within three to five percent of pre-virus forecasts at this point, meaning we are almost right on top of where we thought we would be before any of this virus began. The actual mix of uh, vehicle sales changes somewhat. Uh, I know Americans are looking to utility vehicles. Uh, there are a lot more vehicles like Jeeps and off-road vehicles. Uh, pickup truck sales are uh, have remained steady, but in some cases, the mid-sized pickups are actually bit above the line on occasions, where uh, they're uh, you know three and five percent above pre-virus predictions. Uh, so it's it's not really the amount of vehicles, but it, the mix is changing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in fact, on a year-to-date basis, pickup trucks represent three of the top five segments in the industry, the other two being, of course, SUVs. Um, but, yeah, uh, from full-size pickups down to midsize, they are all performing uh, extraordinarily well. Um, and, you know, probably as I've mentioned before, the one sort of hang-up right now is, is inventory. So if we have more trucks, we could probably sell more trucks. Yeah, it's interesting to me to look at uh, when you look at vehicles that are fairly identical, like uh, Hyundai has the uh, the Palisade and then there's the Kia Telluride. Now, they are un- under the skin, uh, pretty much the same vehicle on the skins on top are very different. One is made in Korea, which is the Palisade from Hyundai, and the other is made in Georgia, which is the Kia Telluride. Now, of course, the Georgian plant was or the Georgia plant was on uh, on furlough for a while. They 
They took some time off to uh, to keep their workers safe. Uh, but Korea was still working their plant. So even though the Telluride was the better seller, we noticed that uh, the Palisade, which is relatively the same vehicle, is now sort of outselling itself three to one. Uh, just purely because it's what's available. Uh, but pickup trucks as well, there's a sort of a shortage going on. People are going to a lot and not necessarily finding the pickup truck that they want, even though they are finding them on the lot. Uh, is that inventory going to get back, do you think? Yeah, I, I certainly think so. The automakers are working as diligently and as safely as they can to ramp up pickup truck production again. Uh, as they're getting back up to speed here. So they, they are trying to get there. Uh, demand, though, just remains so strong. Uh, many of the full-size trucks have, are, have day supply of, of just over 30 days at this point. And so pickup truck buyers, they're very demanding. They have specific requirements. And if, if we don't have it in inventory to meet what they need, they're either going to have to take something that they maybe don't want or delay their purchase. Right. Let's talk about some of the things that you do report on, the transactional price of vehicles. So this is a sort of the median price that people pay for a vehicle. How has that altered over the last few weeks? Well, to your point, as Americans are buying more SUVs and trucks, we are seeing transaction prices continue to go up. In fact, they're up over 3% here recently from year-ago levels. So Prices keep going up. Now, a lot of that, again, you know, it's like we keep telling the same story. With a tight supply of vehicles, dealers don't have to deal as much as they used to, right? So uh, prices are going up. People are buying more expensive vehicles, and they're financing them over longer terms. So it all kind of works together. So car companies traditionally come up with incentive spending. This is, uh, you know, if you buy this, we'll give you this much cash back or we'll give you this much off the hood. Uh, How has the incentive spending changed? Well, what automakers have really been focusing on during the COVID period are supported APR deals that, that consumers will see in the press. 0% for 72 months, one nine for 60. Those kind of supported APR offers are what we've seen a lot of here, more really than any other kind of deal type. And so as automakers have, have added those, and in particular, they're adding 84-month APR deals, and consumers have been following the money. And so those kind of deals where the automakers have have added incentives, that's where consumers are going. So we're seeing a lot of finance deals being pulled together on on new car sales. Well, let's talk about the premium market. Of course, Mercedes is very happy, the fact that they're leading BMW in sales by 18,000 vehicles in 2020. How does the premium market look overall? If there's one place that is absolutely outperforming this year, it is the premium market here. In, In the last several weeks, we're starting to see a lot of, of lessees, the leaseholders out there that had delayed coming back to market. They're now coming back. So we're seeing a, a lot of, of very strong uh, premium performance here. Um, so even as you know, Tesla uh, sales this year were, uh, ha- have been more challenged, we're seeing the other, the other automakers, like you mentioned, Mercedes doing very well this year uh, with, with sales. All right, let's talk about some of the other markets. Uh, For instance, the used car market. Now, there was this news uh, a couple months ago that Hertz were obviously filing for bankruptcy. They were expected to drop a huge amount of used cars into the market, but the price doesn't seem to be coming down. No, no. Um, Because we have such a tight inventory supply on the new side, we're seeing used vehicle sales outperform everything else. So as much as I said positively about the premium side, the used space is just performing very well because things are so tight 
on the news side. We were really worried about Hertz and, and potentially bringing, you know, 500,000 or 700,000 used cars into the car in the used car market and potentially destroying residuals. I got to tell you, right now, we would love to have those vehicles. Dealers would love to have those vehicles because there's just there's still not even enough used vehicles to satisfy demand. So we could absorb Hertz's inventory into the used channel right now. And I think it would make a lot of, of car dealers very happy to have those units. Uh, certain places in the country are obviously suffering worse from the coronavirus than others. Initially, it was New York that had a, a really bad time with the virus. Uh, they went into major lockdown. Then, of course, it ended up being uh, Florida and Southern California, Arizona. Does the car sale trend tend to follow the virus? Does it work hand in hand or does it just not make any sense? It, it does really follow the virus, and in particular where states shut down dramatically, we saw car sales follow suit. And now, though, everything is kind of flip-flop because we saw uh, some markets across the Sun Belt remain open this whole time with very strong sales. They don't have any inventory now, so now those markets are struggling. Meanwhile, markets like Detroit, New York, Philadelphia, uh, that were shut down early, you know, as well as Seattle and San Francisco, um, those are now the markets with inventory, and they're now doing better. Let so, me uh, it, go yep. on. I was just going to say, let me. How, how do you, how do you, how do you guys actually, uh, you know, put the report together? Do you end up calling dealerships, or do you do it through car registrations? How do you get the data at JD Power? So we get data directly from the dealers. Uh, we we capture information from what is known as the DMS, the dealer management software that exists. So a dealer sells a car, they put it into their system. We then see it at JD Power. It's it's sent to us through that system. So we. We get information directly from dealers every night. Do you feel that there is pent-up demand right now for people to buy vehicles, either because they can't get them or because they've been in quarantine? Do, do we still look like that the, the year is going to finish strong? The second half of the year should be stronger than, than the first half. If, if, assuming you know the virus is, is contained um, and that we can safely be out in public still. I mean, that, that's sort of the, the big albatross hanging over our, our, our next year. But otherwise, we do expect a much stronger second half to the year uh, than what we saw. So we should be able to, uh, to, to perform better as, a, as an industry overall, provided that we can hold this virus at bay. And, you know, honestly, that, that's the question that's up in the air. You know, everybody asks me uh, all the time, when is the right time to buy a new vehicle? Um, and I said, you know, the, probably the July 4th week was probably the best time to buy a vehicle. Some of those incentives still existed from dealers out there. There was still inventory out there. But as inventory shrinks, uh, you know, it might be harder to find a vehicle. Even the prices may be right, but it might be harder to find one. Uh, you know, from your experience, when is the right time to buy Historically, you're exactly right. It's the summer season, really between Memorial Day and Labor Day. You see the best deals. And as we get to Labor Day, the industry wants to get rid of all the old model years. So the, the 2020 model years, we want to see those go away so we can make room for the 21s. And so you start to see inventory, or sorry, incentives really peak around Labor Day. Uh, so that, that's kind of the historical time to get the best deal. Now this year, it's going to be a little different. We don't have the level of inventory going in, so we're not going to see the incentives that match that. Uh, but again, it depends a lot on where you live, so geography and what you're shopping for. If you want a sedan, there's plenty of those around right now, and I would expect those offers to continue to get better from now 
all the way to Labor Day. All right. Tyson from J.D. Parent Associate, thank you for joining us to talk a little bit about the impact report. He'll be joining us on a regular basis to go over how car sales look. Uh, the, I do. I go down and look at uh, all of the car companies' websites, uh, go and look at things like the Hertz website, uh, where what's on for sale, you know, how much you can get off of a car. And some of the best value is that I will tell you, uh, I like the fact that a lot of people now are introducing whether it's a good deal or not a good deal on the website. Uh, if you go to uh, Capital One's Auto Navigator, you can actually see whether the car you're looking at is a good deal. And uh, I like that because you're not having to go to 10 websites to see mm -hmm. if the price is right. All right, stand by. More Our Auto Expert on the way. You're listening to Our Auto Expert. Now, you can catch up with previous episodes of the show on our website, ourautoexpert.com. You can hear all past shows, see automotive videos, and read insider car stories about your next ride. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com, where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. You'll find it all at ourautoexpert.com. Also, there you will see my video of the new Toyota RAV4 Prime. This is the second Prime in their lineup. Uh, Brock Cartledge joining us to talk about the vehicle uh, because, of course, it's uh, something that I think Brock, everyone's been really waiting to get their hands on. And uh, there's some pretty astounding numbers that come with this. The one thing that makes me drop, my mouth always drop open, is the fact that this is the second fastest Toyota in the lineup, 0 to 6 miles an hour. That's correct, Nick. So you can actually reach 0 to 60 in just 5.7 seconds. Like you said, the second fastest Toyota, the only fastest, faster one that we make is the Toyota Supra. So to get behind this wheel, it is, you know, a true performance vehicle that just happens to be a plug-in hybrid. You've got the 302 horsepower you know, it's just really a beast when it comes to performance. Uh, one of the things I really like about it, too, is there was a big concentration from Toyota to not make this, uh, to downplay it. I actually had the regular uh, Toyota RAV4 hybrid along with the, uh, the Prime, the Toyota RAV4 Prime, at the same time. And I drove them back to back. I think I was one of the only people that did that. Um, and I think the drive in the Prime is, is really sporty. I mean, it was a big deal for you guys to make this more of a performance plug-in SUV. It absolutely is that performance uh, plug-in hybrid vehicle. So it has 83 more horsepower than the RAV4 hybrid does today, which is already an incredible vehicle. But the RAV4 Prime just takes it to a completely different level. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the great fuel savings that you can get. Uh, first of all, it gets 94 combined MPGE. This is sort of the equivalent if it was running on gas. That's a, a huge amount. Now, how far can it go if you just want to use it on electricity alone? For its EV range, it can go 42 miles, which we know that the average American drives about 37 miles a day, so we can easily cover you know, the, the commute to work, a few errands around town and still have a few miles left over on that electric range. And it still has everything that the RAV4 has. It, you know, you don't lose space, you don't lose, uh, you know, you don't lose usability, it, but it has a little bit sort of, of a different design when you look at it. That's correct. So you do get everything that comes in the both gas and the hybrid version. Those are all offered on the RAV4 Prime, but you do have some unique things that are, are unique to just this new model. So, for example, we have 19-inch uh, wheels, which are the largest that we've ever put on a RAV4 hybrid uh, vehicle. 
So those are just really stunning. You have the standard two-tone roof, which comes in black on the XSE grade. So it's really striking physical appearance. And then we've got some new uh, unique designs on the inside of the vehicle, including a nine-inch multimedia screen, which is the largest that we've ever put on a RAV4. So it's a really unique difference that can only be found within this model. And you also gave it a heads-up display for the first time in the RAV4, right? That's correct. The first ever head-up display is available in the XSE if you get the premium package. So it's a really great 10-inch color head-up display showing you all of that key information while driving and keeping you safe on the road. A lot of people who buy uh, plug-in hybrid SUVs tend to be a lot more savvy about technology, and you sort of included a lot of technology as, as sort of in the base models of this vehicle because those people sort of require to make sure that they have everything, like their their you know their their phones uh, adapted to the vehicle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you you sort of were one step ahead of a lot of people in thinking about putting that in. Absolutely. This thing is chock full of standard technology features. So we have the Amazon Alexa, Apple CarPlay, and Android Auto. So regardless of which phone you have, you can connect to all of your favorite apps within those three different technologies. Now, a lot of times these vehicles are on a premium. It's hard to actually get hold of them. But uh, Toyota telling me that this should qualify for the 7500 uh, federal tax credit, at least initially. That it does, yes. So it does qualify for the full $7,500 federal tax credit. And there's also state-level incentives that this vehicle qualifies for, depending on which state uh, you reside in. So there are tons of incentives that are available um, for this vehicle. All of my friends who live in states that have HOV lane stickers are going to be asking, will this qualify for an HOV lane sticker? It does. <laughs> we, uh, we have confirmed, and that is the holy grail of stickers in many states. And we have received confirmation from a few of them already that it does qualify. So. Now, now all I need to find is, uh, is a car company that can make their car qualify for not paying tolls on roads, and we'd be set. Because that, yes. <laughs> that would make everything absolutely perfect. Uh, if somebody is interested in buying a Toyota RAV4 Prime, uh, what's the process? When is it available? And how much are they going to have to pay? Yeah, great question. So the RAV4 Prime is hitting dealer lots this month. It'll be available in a few key states. Um, and as we kind of ramp up production and roll this out, um, the best way to get your hands on one is to go ahead and contact your local dealer. And in terms of pricing, the, there's two grades, both of which are sport grades. The entry level is the SE grade. That starts at around $38,000. And then you can go to the uh, XSE grade, which starts just over $41,000. But don't forget, you have those uh, both federal and state incentives. That yeah. That. I mean, I looked at that. I looked at if I was to buy one in someone like San Diego, and I think I get – uh, I get state, I get federal, state, and city, depending on where you live in the in the city of San Diego, the counties. You get federal, state, and county uh, incentives on that, so you can you can get quite a lot of money back off of those vehicles. You can drop it by uh, somewhere close to around ten thousand dollars. All right, we'll look forward to it turning out. Is this the the last Prime model from Toyota, or do you think there's more Prime models uh, being readied for market? You know, that's a good question. We are always innovating and creating new products. As of today, we offer the Prius Prime and then the Rafael Prime, but who knows what the future holds for us. All right. Stay tuned. 
Thanks, Brock. Uh, Brock Cartledge spending some time with us. He's a senior analyst at Toyota uh, Vehicles Marketing and Communication Division. Good job in telling us about a vehicle that I'm pretty excited about. If you want to watch the video of the new Toyota, sorry, the Toyota RAV4 Prime, uh, I just did a back-to-back video with a hybrid. You'll be able to catch that on your, your local morning show, or you can see the video on ourautoexpert.com. And it's interesting to drive them back-to-back. Zero to 60, the only vehicle faster in the Toyota lineup is the Supra. That, to me, a mouth dropper. Stand by. More Our Auto Expert on the way. You're listening to the Our Auto Expert podcast. This is our auto expert where you can uh, get hold of us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by direct messages and start a conversation with your questions. Our auto expert is where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily. And somebody who likes to give us that automotive news, Anton Wallman. He's an independent analyst and investor. Read the majority of his stuff at the street or Seeking Alpha. Uh, Anton, sales figures creeping in for second quarter. How did Tesla do overall with their numbers? Globally, Nick, uh, Tesla was down 5% in the second quarter of this year compared to the second quarter of last year. And you may say that that is pretty good given the fact that the industry was down in the ballpark of 30%. However, in Tesla's case, things are a little different because Tesla during this period of time doubled uh, the number of factories that they have until January 1st of this year. Tesla had only one factory, the one located in California. Right. However, starting in the beginning of 2020, uh, the factory located in China was fully up and running by January. Uh, so they essentially almost doubled their production capacity. And in the meantime, they also added what they have long said was going to be their best-selling model, the one that will outsell the Model 3, the Model S, and the Model X combined So in that context, being down 5% is not a good number. All right. Well, I mean, it looks like they're still valued pretty highly, though. People still are buying the Tesla stock. So how does that make sense if if they're not doing as well as predicted? Oh, absolutely not. Of course, you're correct, Nick. The um, valuation of the company has gone through the roof. The stock uh, on Friday exceeded $1,500 per share. And you may remember that it wasn't long ago that the stock was trading at 300 something dollars per share. So the stock has gone up multi, multi, multi-fold. Uh, just in the last week, I think the stock is up like something like 40%. So this is absolutely crazy. The company now has a market capitalization, the total value of the equity of the company, that is on the order of 280 plus billion dollars. And Toyota is barely around 200, and all the other automakers are all of them, each of them, well below 100. So you could add a Toyota plus a Volkswagen plus a this plus a that, and uh, only at that point will they come to equal Tesla's um, equity market capitalization right now. That is, of course, absolutely crazy. All right. Let's take a look at the rest of Europe uh, through May 2020. The European premium, that's a $65,000 plus battery electric vehicles, the BEVs market. Uh, it seems to be dominated by one brand. Yeah. The Audi e-tron thus far this year is in a class by itself. It outsells the next guy by, I think, at least about three to one. Uh, so uh, clearly Audi has had a home run so far. 
for the Audi e-tron. And that also includes now starting just in the last month or so, the Audi e-tron Sportback, which is the less practical, arguably better looking to some people anyway, uh, slightly sloping rear roof there version that started shipping here roughly at the end of May. And uh, those numbers continue to propel their sales here throughout the summer. Now, you could argue the top five vehicles in that class, uh, they are the Audi e-tron, the Jaguar I-Pace, the Mercedes EQC, along with Porsche's Taycan and the Tesla Model S. You could extract the Taycan and the Tesla Model S and, and somewhat the Jaguar I-Pace because the I-Pace is fairly, uh, fairly old. Uh, but when you extract those numbers, you're left really with a Mercedes EQC that is doing probably a quarter of the numbers of the Audi e-tron. So what's the explanation for that? Well, Mercedes came to market with a slightly smaller battery than those offered not just by Audi, but also, but also by, by Jaguar. They have a smaller battery and a little bit less range. So uh, you have to consider that for some people, when they look at sort of the critical number in the equation that is going to help them determine which electric car to buy, uh, strictly the range number is very high up, if not the highest up on the list. All right, let's turn to the rest of the European eco market year to date in Spain, Netherlands, Norway. Combine those three countries. Uh, how are daily sales looking for vehicles or how are, how are sales looking for vehicles there, the electric vehicles? Yeah, so there are three countries in Europe that actually report their sales with just a one day lag. Uh, so you get the exact sales number up to about 24 hours ago. And those are the Netherlands and Norway and Spain. And you may ask why those three countries? Well, uh, first of all, those are simply the um, mechanical ways in which those DMV equivalents in those countries allow uh, for the numbers to be published. But their relevance to the electric car market is this, and that is that Norway was traditionally the largest electric car market in Europe, where over 50% of the cars sold for the last two or three years have been all electric. The Netherlands crept up and took over the crown in Europe as the largest electric car market at the midpoint of 2019, thanks to enormous uh, tax incentives in the Netherlands. And now, as we approach the midpoint of 2019, uh, sorry, 2020, uh, we're looking at both the United Kingdom and Germany to potentially, you would think of those because those are much, much larger countries. I mean, Germany has a population of about 80 million people, and yeah. the UK is on the order of 65 million people, that they would vastly outsell those other smaller countries in terms of electric cars. But it isn't until this point in the middle of 2020 when we will start seeing the results of that. So the next just short uh, couple of months here, we will start to see those results. And uh but going back to the actual numbers of what cars are selling, we're seeing the leading um, uh, models from Volkswagen, Kia, and Hyundai uh, really dominate the charts, as well as the Audi e-tron, which, despite being a far more expensive vehicle, really sells as well as some of those uh, lesser expensive ones. And in fifth place so far is the Tesla Model 3 for the year to date. All right, so some of these vehicles are fairly old in the tooth, aren't they? The VW e-Golf, it's, it's fairly old. It's four years old? Actually, it's six years old, and it was right. supposed to cease production in the last couple of months because it is being replaced, of course, effectively by the ID3. But the ID3 has been delayed. The ID3 was going to start deliveries in the in Europe in the beginning of this year and, and has now suffered at least three, maybe four delays. And now they're saying that the first batch 
of the 30,000 cars that they manufactured just last winter, back in the November, December of last year, that have been sitting idle on lots in various places around Germany, will now be delivered uh, by the end of September. But in the meantime, what Volkswagen did is that they kept making the e-golf longer than they had originally anticipated. And, of course, there's red-hot demand for this thing. I've seen wait lists that go as long as six to nine months to get a hold of an e-golf. And that's a model that is going to be here discontinued imminently in favor of a car with far better specs, much, much longer range, and so forth, which I think just speaks to the tremendous strength of the golf uh, brand in Europe. If you take a look at the top five uh, vehicles in Spain, Netherlands, and Norway, it's interesting that uh, there's really only three uh, companies that uh, are doing well in this. Of course, the Volkswagen Group with the e-Golf and the Audi e-tron, and then the Hyundai Group with the Kia Nero and the Hyundai Kona, and uh, Tesla in the fifth place uh, down there. Is there any other players in this market, or is it really dominated by the VW Group and the Hyundai Group? Well, actually, Renault is right under there, and they have just one entry of any significance at this point, the Zoe, uh, which actually has sold well, mostly in southern Europe. It dominates electric car sales in France and then is very strong in countries such as Spain and Italy. So Renault, which, of course, isn't sold at all in the United States and therefore nobody seems to care about, uh, has also done uh, rather well over there. And, of course, Nissan has been doing relatively well uh, for years, but has been clearly superseded by all of the aforementioned brands, Volkswagen, Hyundai, Kia, and so forth. Let's uh, visit Tesla again, uh, let, talking a little bit about the Model 3 and the Model Y. Are those now their other models? I mean, the X and the S, uh, there's no Roadster, there's no truck that appeared yet. Uh, is it just down to those two models from Tesla? No, but uh, the X, sorry, the Model 3 and the Model Y uh, dominate their sales. They sell about 90,000 cars a quarter, and I think it's about 78,000 of those 90 are the S and the, sorry, the, excuse me, the, the Y and the 3 combined. The Y, of course, is so far only sold in North America, U.S. and Canada, and uh, sales of the Y uh, will start in Europe and in China uh, before the end of this calendar year, but it hasn't started quite yet. So for Asia as well as for Europe, it's really just a three thus far, but the Y will be coming on here in just a few short months from now. All right. Well, let's uh, let's see how those sales actually do when we talk about that. Uh, just finally, uh, does the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, is it suppressing electric vehicle sales around the world? Is it making harder for people to actually get into electric vehicles or is that segment still strong? No, it, it's, it's clearly had an impact on all forms of car sales, but of course on a relative basis because the mandates that force the automakers to sell a certain quantity of these cars, uh, that means that the impact on electric cars has been less. So if you look at electric car sales overall, uh, it is down in some places by a little bit and, and uh, up in some places a little bit, but clearly electric car sales on the whole, while it still may be net down in some places, on the whole, has held up a lot better than the non-electric car sales. But that's really just because, uh, you know, the government has put a gun uh, to the head of all the automakers and say you have to sell so-and-so many of them. 
All right. Anton Wallman is an independent investor and analyst. You can read the majority of his stuff at SeekingAlpha.com, uh, also at The Street. He always has a great insight into electric vehicles, uh, autonomous driving, uh, and some of the, uh, the European markets. You get a good picture of what's going on. And, of course, the European markets lead the world. A lot of what you see going on in Europe uh, eventually comes to the United States. We're going to jump to a different level of of performance right now when we come back we're going to talk a little bit we spent some time talking about electric vehicles and uh, how their sales are doing but it's the complete opposite that's happening over at dodge three brand new vehicles that are all huge v8 vehicles we're going to talk about one of them the brand new challenger you're listening to our auto expert Your smart speaker can be your radio. Just say, hey, Google, hey, Alexa, or hey, Siri. Play our auto expert radio show. And all previous episodes of the podcast are available. Hours of endless fun for you and the entire family. I'm Nick Miles, along with Truck Girl Jen. And this is our auto expert radio show, where 2 million Americans get their automotive news daily at ourautoexpert.com. Looking forward to uh, heading to Detroit tomorrow. Going to go test out the new Bronco. Check it out. It's kind of exciting. Uh, But there is a lot of exciting stuff outside of off-roading. One of the vehicles that... uh I have to tell you, makes me smile, is the uh, the old bunch of new vehicles from Dodge, and one of them is the 2020 Challenger SRT Super Stock. It's the newest Dodge drag racing machine to join the family. Why does it go 0 to 60 in 3.25 seconds? Because it can. That's why, because, because Tim Kaniskas and team over at Dodge, it was kind of interesting when they did the unveil of this, that I was texting back and forward with Tim. Uh, I said, nice job well done this and he was texting me back and he and he's the president of the company so it was kind of great to see them roll out these new vehicles but to talk to us about them kevin hellman he is the challenger brand manager now first of all kevin uh have you got one of these in your driveway uh i wish (laughs) (laughs) is kevin is it legal to to have a super stock on the street or is it uh you know off street only no, it's 100% legal for the street. Um, the tires are uh, similar compound that we had for the uh, street legal demon. So, uh, absolutely 100% street legal vehicle. Why? Do you want me to text Tim and ask him if he can get you one? You know what? Sure. <laughs> any any, uh, any help is uh, is good. So. <laughs> All right. Let's start at horsepower. Um, it ridiculous amount of horsepower. 807. That's right. 807. So we're uh, we're 10 up from the uh, the red eye on which this vehicle is based. Um, we got that. I mean, like anything else, you know, we're going through this stuff. The engineers, uh, they got to go go in and open up some some stuff. So while they're in there, um, we, you know, we we ask them for more, uh, pretty much more anything we can get. So uh, while they're in there, changing the uh, the calibration for uh, you know for for the engine and for the uh, the tires and things like that, um, they were able to get us an extra ten horsepower up to eight oh seven. So um, just a little bit extra for. Uh, for the the uh, super stock where does this fall in the world of uh, and, uh muscle cars now i'm sorry where does it fall in the world of muscle cars is this now the most powerful muscle car in america 100 percent uh the only place to fall is at the top so that's why we're there all um, right so we have we have the uh, the world's most powerful and the world's quickest with the super stock uh with the 060 at 3.25 seconds so um everything that this car was was meant to be was to to be right at the top of the uh, the muscle car records. 
Now, what's generating the power under the hood? Uh, this year's the same uh, 6.2 liter supercharged Hemi high output engine as our Red Eye. Um, so it's, uh, as I mentioned, 807 horsepower, 707 foot pounds of torque. Um, and uh, it, it's a the sim- similar engine that was in the, uh, the Demon as well. Now, a lot of times, you know, you and I, or maybe, maybe probably me and Jan, we base uh, how fast a car is on zero to 60 mile an hour. But a lot of the, the drag races base it on the quarter mile. So how fast are we now doing the quarter mile? We're doing the quarter mile at 10.5 uh, in, the, in the super stock. So uh, wow. it's uh, about three car lengths, three car lengths uh, faster than the, uh, the red eye uh, on which it's based. So, again, that's, that, that is, that's why it has the name of super stock. It was designed for the quarter mile. Um, and, uh, and, and that additional grip for those, uh, standard, uh, standard radials is, uh, is what helps us get down the track that much faster. Now I noticed, uh, you guys had told me that the top speed was actually limited because of the tires. So what is the top speed now? The top speed is 168 miles an hour. So that's, uh, as you mentioned, that's, that's limited by the, uh, the ratings of the tire. Um, and it's actually the same top speed as our other drag racing focus model of 1320. All right. Now, the wide body, uh, you're going to put this on, on the vehicle as standard? Yes. Yep. Uh, SRT Superstock comes standard with the wide body configuration. So uh, we need the wide body for the 315 drag radials uh, and, uh, and the 20 by 11, or, I'm sorry, 18 by 11 inch uh, forged wheels. And I do also like the the fact that you've done these uh, these really sort of cool granite glossy finish on the wheels as well. It sort of adds to the overall look of the vehicle, right? Yeah, that uh, that finish kind of ties in a little bit more with the uh, the badging that's on the vehicle, um, and it's just a little bit different uh, of a finish, more unique finish than uh, than we've got on the uh, the red eye and face too. So uh, little things, little touches that really set this car apart, but. Um, it's part of that, uh, you know, part of the dodge. If you know, you know, we didn't slap a bunch of super stock badges on this thing. It's, it's subtlety and it's all about the uh, performance chops. Right. Of course. Now what goes fast needs to stop fast. So what are you putting on this for brakes? Uh, this has Brembo or lightweight Brembo four piston, uh, brake system all the way around. So it's got 4.2 inch, uh, vented rotors, um, at all four corners. So, uh, again, designed, designed for lightweight, uh, in terms of, uh, um, in terms of uh, the weight on the front on the front axle, so we went with a smaller brake package on this, similar to uh, similar to the Demon as well. Let me ask you, uh, who 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 are you planning on selling these vehicles to? Is this going to be somebody who you know just wants to uh, shock the hell out of their kids on the way to school, or is it somebody who's <laughs> going to be professionally drag racing? <laughs> well, I think that can be the same person, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is you know, I think Tim said it at best when we launched the car and it, and it, it holds true for sure i mean um you know we, we this car needed more tire the red eye needed more tire um the extra 100 horsepower uh while the 305s are great it just didn't get the grip that we needed so this this whole thing was born out of the fact that we wanted more grip for our red eye customer um and uh, and, and obviously we could have just thrown some tires on there but uh you know why not make it a unique model and give and you know put some extra technology in it and make a, a an all-around better vehicle that's focused for drag racing so uh, yeah, I mean, this, this could be the guy who, who already uh, has a red eye and, and wants to upgrade it, or a guy who's looking to specifically just uh, to just race. So, depends on how you. I mean, depends on how you want to use it. But uh, the great thing about the Challenger is, with the adaptive damping suspension and everything else, um, you know, the larger interior size, it's a great all-around car all the time. So you can go from, you know, you could you could drive this car to the track, race it, run it back up, you know, a couple times, and uh, and drive it home. So. 
It's yeah, it's an all around All right, how do we get hold of one? Do we know when will we know pricing? When will they be available? I because I, I have several friends that are Dodge dealers, and I know the phone calls are coming. <laughs> well, we will open up for orders here uh, later on this summer, um, and when we open up for orders, we'll announce pricing then. All right, uh, I'm guessing you probably should look at the red eye pricing, and uh, it'll it'll be somewhere north of that. Well, we'll find out what that is when it comes up. Uh, what do you do now? I mean, is there anywhere to go from here? Well, we're always thinking up something. I think I think the fun thing about this one is no one no one knew this one was coming. So um, I think that you know uh, as this guy you know I talked about the, the, the red eye charger was kind of a for, you know foregone conclusion. Um, I think you know it was one of the things. Well, Dodge has to put the Hellcat on a Durango for a while, but this one I think was a, was a nice surprise for everybody. So uh, you know we're we're always looking to. to have the next surprise i love the words that tim texted me before just before the launch he goes these are not sticker cars which they are definitely not cars that just have a different colored sticker on the outside these are definitely uh, very different from the ground up i think you guys have done a great job i'm sure you'll sell tons of them and uh, scare the pants off many grandparents when they go to sunday dinner with you kevin hellman from uh, the from the dodge brand uh, challenger he's the brand manager uh, thank you for spending some of your weekend with us if you want to scare the hell out of the uh, the family that you have then you need to probably put yourself down on the order list for one of these of course there is the new durango hellcat and of course a new charger as well all right our show ourautoexpert.com go there for more you've been listening to our auto expert with nick mile find all the show episodes at ourautoexpert.com please follow us on all social media twitter facebook and instagram at our auto expert and message us for a quick and witty response.